You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. <laughs> It's Tuesday, August 18, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington in New York, joined shortly by Tony Greer. But first, with today's stories, Peter Cooper. Thanks, Ash. Yesterday, the Democratic National Convention kicked off and will run through this Thursday, where the Democratic Party will formally nominate Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as president and vice president for this election. What's unique about this year's convention is that it's mostly virtual, with a mix of live and pre-recorded speeches. Additionally, it will not be featuring a single keynote speaker, but rather 17 in total. The Democratic convention will officially end primary season as the U.S. moves full steam ahead into the general election. The general pitch for the Democratic bid last night revolved around unifying in support of Joe Biden, regardless of where these leaders are within the political spectrum. Progressives, moderates, and even some Republicans have come together at the convention to make the case that as president, Joe Biden would be the most capable to address the pandemic, the recession, and the civil unrest. Part of the hope is to rally younger voters, those who enthusiastically supported progressives such as Senator Sanders and Senator Warren during the primaries, to cast their vote for Biden, a more moderate, center-left politician, in what is evolving to be a higher-stakes election. The 17 keynote speakers Biden is elevating are diverse, yet almost mostly share a center-left philosophy. A preview of Biden's vision for the Democratic Party as he considers himself to be a bridge for a new generation of leaders. As the convention is underway, we'll see how it unfolds. Also yesterday, the trustees at CalPERS met after the sudden resignation of the fund's chief investment officer, Ben Mang. On August 4th, an anonymous complaint was filed against Mr. Mang about possible conflicts of interest as it concerned his own personal investments. The next day, Mr. Mang left abruptly. The complaint did not list any specific investments, but the focus during the review has been on Mr. Mang's shares in Blackstone Group. CalPERS had previously invested in Blackstone's private equity funds. After Mr. Mang was hired, CalPERS had committed $750 million in this fund. With CalPERS' underfunded status, and as municipalities and local governments within California are being billed with greater mandatory contributions, the reputational risk associated with conflicts of interest is something CalPERS is sensitive to. It may also be a reflection of the immense pressure pension funds are under today. And with that, back to you, Ash. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Tear up the script. The SP took out its all time closing high. We've got Tony Greer, TG Macro, the Trader's Trader. Welcome, Tony. Well put. There's no script in 2020, Ash. You know that, right? Absolutely. Tony, what are you looking at today? Historic day. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, the S&P close rhymes with uh, the entire inflation bonanza trade, as I call it, that's taking place right before our eyes right now. Um, you know, it started this morning with the dollar making a new low against a bunch of major currencies. The Dixie made a new low. Um, sterling against the dollar was up at a huge two sigma move driving markets this morning. Um, you know, so that translates into the big, you know, a wildly observable 
inflation trade that's taken place before our eyes. You know, there's a Bloomberg Commodities Index technical breakout that's going on that I think could be very sustainable. Um, you know, it started leaping above moving averages as precious metals started rolling. Um, it was really gold in the lead and for the longest time. And then silver, as you saw, caught fire and traded really quick from 15 to 25 and now 30. Um, everything metal ash is going up and to the right, right? I call it like the base metal baton trade because every time I wake up in the morning and turn on my screens at 6.30, I look up at the leaderboard and there is either aluminum, copper, iron ore, silver, or zinc, you know, in the lead that morning with a huge magnitude move. So, you know, these are the things that you should be expecting when we're seeing unlimited and aggressive monetization by central banks, right? Um, I think the dollar weakness speaks to the Fed being even more aggressive with, um, you know, taking the balance sheet from $4 trillion to $7 trillion and, you know, the biggest economy on the block, um, the currency having to take a little bit of a hit because of that, which seems totally reasonable to me. Um, I don't get into the big existential dollar crisis. I don't think that it's in danger of losing its status as reserve currency. I just think it's selling off. Um, so that's really what I'm looking at. This, um, this dual inflation bonanza that we're seeing in CPI now, PPI finally coming through in the marquee data, um, and then being followed by the commodity breakout, which is just you know um, different versions of metals rallying due to monetization all over the world. A lot of action, a lot of price movement, a lot of moving parts here. So I should say, close on the day, 3389 on the S&P. Also took out the uh, all-time intraday high set back in 19 February of 3393, went up to 3395 today. The S&P just keeps on trucking. Uh, it seems to be the same story over and over again, the way I look at it. Um, we're seeing today, for example, Apple and Amazon making a new high, driving FANG. FANG is one of the big groups that's leading all asset classes on the year. FANG is up 50% on the year. It's battling Bitcoin for the lead on the leading asset class for the year. If you can look at it like that for me for a minute, with Bitcoin up 67% on the year. But then we're talking about GDX, metals and mining, up 45% and gold up 32% on the year. So this is clearly where the money has gone and where the flow has gone as the Fed has expanded their balance sheet. It speaks to a couple of things to me. Fang being in the lead speaks to the wealth gap that's manifesting itself in the stock market as well as in society, right? We're seeing, for example, the triple Qs have taken up and run, run away on the year. They're up 30% year to date. The S&P is up 5% year to date. And the small cap stocks in the Russell are down 5% year to date. So given that this COVID you know, um, response by the Federal Reserve and all central banks, quite frankly, around the world has been such a steamroller. I'm guessing that these themes are going to play out really, really strongly throughout the second half of the year. In fact, they may really go into overdrive for the second half of the year. I think what's gone on is that the Fed has got the markets in a situation where we've got a couple of runaway trains going on, like FANG and big tech, et cetera, et cetera, and other areas of technology. And then you've got drag coming from other sectors like energy are out of favor right now. Utilities are sort of out of favor right now. Banks are out of favor right now. So there's a little bit of balance is just carrying the stock market in a slow and steady pace upward right now, driven by technology. So I'm imagining we're going to see this in different versions of it between now and the end of the year.
Yeah, just like you say, different inflections. It all speaks to a couple meta themes. Number one, first and foremost, central bank liquidity. Uh, number two, the inflation play with gold. And number three, uh, software eating the world. So technology rallying the way it is really just speaks to the fundamental story of the situation we find ourselves coming out of the pandemic, where everybody's going to be working from home, needing more internet capability from home, more cybersecurity at home. So it makes sense that these sectors are getting up and rallying right away. Yeah, that anticipates my next question perfectly. You've got a screen full of indicators behind you. You're looking at a lot of different signals. What does this pretend big picture for what you see going forward? Well, it feels to me, Ash, like the inflation trade just caught fire again. You know, there have been several legs to this trade. Like, you know, we saw gold getting out in front with a lot of different reasons. Gold seems to be the play on central bank balance sheets. Now we're in a situation where the economy is getting help from the stimulus and probably coming out of the gates a lot better than anybody had expected going in. And we've got a situation where inflation is manifesting itself all kinds of ways across in the market, where we've got five-year, five-year forwards are perking higher, right? We've got tips that are trading bid only, treasury inflation protected securities. You've got the yield curve slowly steepening and ticking higher, indicating we're going to have a pickup of economic activity. We're going to have rallying prices. And like we said, it's become easy to get a hold of this trade because like we wake up one morning and there's another commodity taking the lead. There's another base metal rallying, right? There's another base metal at the top of the leaderboard. You check back at four o'clock, like we look back today. What's at the top of the leaderboard today? There's a two and a half sigma rally in tips, right? A 65 basis point rally, which is a huge move in tips. Uh, we've got a three, a 4% rally in copper. So every day you get this confirmation and then you look to the economic data and you see that CPI is coming out higher than expected. PPI is higher than expected. So this is giving you some confidence to really lean into a few of these inflation trades. 65 bips on tips quite a lot. Are you looking at anything else in the fixed income complex? Specifically, what are you looking at and spreads? Yeah, well, like I mentioned, Ash, we've seen the 210 spread perk up through 50 basis points. So that's showing us that it's bond markets pricing in a little bit more economic activity, possibly some more inflation. On the inflation side, I'm actually looking for yields to go higher, right? I'm looking for an actual sell-off in the bond market in response to inflation data that I'm expecting to come out way higher than expected. You know, we've got all the physical commodities that we need to see breaking out and rallying to the top of our screens. And we talked about metals only. We didn't even talk about the fact that crude oil, natural gas, they've all been rallying pretty sharply. Now we've got some soft commodities rallying. So the inflation is starting to show up all over the screens. We're expecting yields to go higher in response. Um, we just saw 10-year yields test 50 basis points on the lows and come back strong to above 60 basis points. To me, that could be the kind of bounce in yields that's sustainable. That was sort of a rejection of the new highs in treasuries. So it could be a short-term top where yields could start rising. And I'm looking for that to have maybe a little bit of a sideways to heavy effect on the stock market if we see yields going measurably higher. But I think that that, again, will be something that will be met by the Federal Reserve. And I just don't think that the broad S&P rally is something that you want to fade as long as rates stay in check and moving orderly fashion like this. A dislocation in the bond market or a several day dislocation lower in the bond market would be a different story.
Yeah. So you express that thesis very clearly. How are you expressing that view? Well, we've got, you know, as I've been writing for months, you know, we, we've been well early to the precious metals trade. We've been long gold in various forms. We've traded in and out of silver. We just got a hold of XME, the metals and mining index, as it's rallying. Um, I'm grabbing indexes that or sectors of the market ash that I feel are still roaring and may never have stopped roaring, even despite the pandemic. The housing market to me is on fire like the old dot-com market once was. Like the housing market, everything is in line, right? You're seeing lower rates. You're seeing people visibly show up to refinance. So that's helping the bank economic activity. And you're seeing people show up to buy and build. And that that data has been wildly apparent in the economic data. We're seeing housing starts blow away expectations. We just saw a number of uh, 20% uh, rally in housing starts versus 5% expectations. So between that and new home sales going strong, the builder earnings have been really strong. You're seeing the finishing um, product companies like Whirlpool and Trex, et cetera, put up great earnings and just rally sharply. So this home builders rally is something that really the pandemic was just a bump in the road. And that's another way that I'm expressing it, Ash. So, you know, everything between, you know, I'm looking to express it between my natural resources based positions and then some of the other sectors of the economy that I think are in good shape and should continue to rally. Yeah. Two big beats back to back. You had the uh, home starts today and yesterday, the sentiment index from home builders. Definitely looks like things are on a tear. I guess my question is, do we know if this is some kind of you know weird coronavirus play where people are moving out of inner cities and moving, moving out of the city and moving into the suburbs? Or does this tell something about what real demand is? In other words, we're going to see that expressed through in other places, potentially in earnings. So specifically, in terms of the housing market, my local channel checks show that it is very much a factor of people moving out of the cities and moving out to the suburbs, right? If you're going to be working at home, living at home, you know, your home is now your castle and people are not going to get along with it being a cubicle in, you know, New York City, Chicago, Minneapolis, for example. So with the, you know, race out to the suburbs, that's a very specific COVID factor that's bullish for builders. But I think if you took that away, I think that the market was already on its very good standing with low interest rates and, you know, more millennials buying homes than the markets would ever really let on to, because that's the reality is new home sales have been strong and they have been going to younger and younger families. So the myth that millennials will only own an apartment in New York City cubicle is kind of proving to be false. Right. Yeah, Tony, it's one of the things I enjoy so much about our conversations is you start with the data first and work your way back to the theory rather than the other way around. And it's such a powerful way of looking at it when you're actually seeing what's happening on the ground. Well, what's cool about this market, Ash, is that, at, you know, with the S&P at all time highs, but the VIX at 25, 20, you know, still very, very pricing in a lot of volatility, you know, portfolio managers are leaving tire tracks all over the tape, right? So if you start paying attention to what's performing on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis, you can really follow the money pretty clearly. And that's how we've been able to latch on to some of these themes. It's really all it is. Yeah, that's very well said. So what is the money telling you as you look forward? Man, you know, there's a couple of trades that are, look like they're seeing all the flow, right? Big tech is obviously the one, right? But we don't know when Apple, Amazon are going to finish rallying. It doesn't look like they are. It looks like they're only getting more powerful on this side of COVID. So that's one component of the rally. 
we're seeing Bitcoin up 65, 70% this year. And even though I got off of the Bitcoin bus, I am a full throated supporter of it as a you know currency that's not going to be manipulated by anybody. So we'd like to see Bitcoin rallying. And then, you know, we're seeing money fly flow into the gold stocks. Metals and mining has become, you know, the new tech market. We just got this headline that everybody's going crazy over that Warren Buffett bought Barrick. And I mean, to me, yeah. that's the biggest who cares headline of the year. You know, I you don't mean to be disrespectful, but he's, you know, he's saying one thing, he's trading another way. And he's obviously realized that this is a way that he's got to be positioned. So who cares is my point. The, uh, the reality is, is that we can stay latched onto and trade various legs of this gold rally. We just had a great pullback in gold, for example. Uh, you know, gold was trading at its highs above 2000. The Robin Hood traders got wind of it. And Ash, I'm telling you, it wasn't long after a friend of mine who is a Sith in the gold market sent me a screenshot of all of the Robin Hood traders that were in GLD. And it was something like 4,000 of them. So you're saying, okay, how long is it going to be before they bail um, from the high print? And next thing you know, you get a nice $125 washout where you can buy an uptrending, beautifully trending precious metal on sale. So I'm just talking about these are the opportunities that the market is handing you when it's trading at volatility like this. And these are the ones that you get, you know, you get confidence in and you can really get your bat off of your shoulder and take some swings into the end of the year that this is going to continue. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah. Uh, Tony, that reminds me. I'm curious. As a, as a certified data junkie, what are you doing with all this data that's flowing off of Robinhood? We've never seen anything like this before. Open API, you basically can look into the trades. It's really surreal. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's it's so surreal. I don't think it's going to last, Ash. I feel like they're already going to take steps and, you know, start hiding the information. But I'm not going to second guess these guys. As you can see, they're raising a lot of money. And, and you know, so they're, they're not having any trouble with that. And it's not a phenomenon that I want to fade. If they have figured out how to um, gather the masses on their platform and introduce them to trading in this era, then I tip my hat to them. And we're just going to sit back and see how it unfolds, right? Yeah. Someday, my guess is the data gets parameterized and sold. Yeah, I would imagine. Right directly to Citadel for an enormous fee, and then they'll make money on the other side of it, too. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> American capitalism. So That's what it is. Tony, what else are you looking at as you look forward? Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the tech stocks. What's your play there going forward? Well, it's to cautiously um, get into them for momentum trades at this point. You know, Amazon just today, for example, broke out of a pennant that I've been drawing for days since it made its high. And so that is probably a good place to look for leadership. Let's just put it that way, that now that Amazon has already consolidated through this pandemic period and bounced off moving averages and broken out of the technical pennant, I would, that's a trade that I love to go with. So I'm now looking for Amazon to lead the pack. Apple had been leading the pack, and I don't know what might ever change about that, right? We're kind of in this phase with Apple where we're now going into the split, the four-for-one split. Um, I've got memories of Nokia's four-for-one split. I believe it was in like literally February of 2000 or thereabouts. 
bouts right before the dot-com bubble burst. So everybody became long, the most popular tech stock in the most popular sector. And that was the end of the rally. Could we be in for a similar situation at this point when Apple splits four for one? We absolutely could. But Apple seems to be in really good standing in the markets, and that's when tops are formed. Now, I don't want to pick a top because there's been so much momentum, and Fang is making a new high every day. So, you know, tech is really to just, uh, to me, it's just a big barometer, Ash. It's either you've been invested and you can stay invested, or you take these little cuts at trading what the chart gives you, staying within the context of a bull market tech rally, right? Yeah. You know, talking about trading momentum, it should probably go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. You're very nimble in the way you can come in and out of these positions. What are the risks? How do you caution retail investors on what to watch out for? You know, as the biggest thing that I've noticed, I've accumulated a lot of retail investors as new subscribers of late. And I am noticing that there is a bigger population than usual asking more basic questions. And I'm here to help all of those people, and I do it on a one-by-one basis. And I will say that the number one thing that people are not pricing in is their own disaster scenario, right? And and I'm going to say this broadly, but I've noticed that people are not thinking about what could happen if Apple goes down four or five days in a row or, you know, things, scenarios that their brain, quite frankly, has been trained not to think can happen. So right. when you just when you just sort of bring back the memory that, you know, there was once a dot com that burst when everything was fine. Yeah. And, you know, we finally realized that along the way down that there were companies blowing up. But, you know, there's a lot of fraud that seems to be taking place in the market now that matches what goes on at market peaks. I'm not going to dare stand there and pick the top and make a sale, for God's sake. You know, it's not my kind of trade, but you want to make all the right observations. So that's what we're trying to do now and see where Apple is fitting into society and Amazon is fitting into society. Because when you talk about where do you see money going, I can't stop reading about more and more money flowing into ESG strategies. Right. There's a BlackRock. There's an iShares. There are a number of ETFs now where you can invest in this environmental, social and governance criteria. And the inflows are while it's a very young um, and up and coming sort of it was a new phenomenon that was getting big right before COVID. Then COVID sort of took center stage over it. And now ESG seems to be coming back strong where investors aren't concerned about the top line as much. They're concerned about your environmental impact, your carbon footprint, um, how you interact with society, what you give back, you know, how uh, diverse your governing bodies are. And that's a totally fair way if they want to push money into that market. But I think that that's a sector that might catch fire. It's another it's another re-slicing of the S&P. But because it's re-sliced the way it's packaged, it might catch fire. You know, this is an interesting and actually controversial topic. There, there are those who say this is the future. There are others who say, look, the sharp ratios don't bear it out from a return perspective. You know, to me, what's interesting about this is that as pension funds have mandatory allocations, especially the big public pension funds have mandatory allocations to this sector, to ESG, it strikes me that there's going to be money rushing into that trade. Yeah. Well, you've seen it in the data, and the exact raw data escapes me. But we've literally doubled inflows for two consecutive months now, you know, and we're putting $30, $40 billion a month of inflows into these funds. It's a relevant sum of money, it's a relevant sum of the mutual fund industry. It's the new hot thing. It's very woke investing. 
It has appeal in so many ways that it's something that I really want to make sure that I'm keeping an eye on. I've started moving my subscribers towards watching it and giving them some vehicles to invest in. And that's something that I want to look to as a potential um, long-term trade for the future. Yeah. You know, Tony, as you're given this clinic here, question, we've talked about a lot of different trades, a lot of different asset classes. How do you think about sizing these positions across asset classes? Carefully. No, in, 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 you know, these are trades for me, Ash. They really are. And they're sized just like risk trades in, in the sense that I start moving capital towards markets when I think these fundamental stories are going to pan out, pan out. I establish a position. And then my number one thing is to leave a trailing stop as things go my way so that I'm always protecting my profits, right? And at, at the most basic blocking and tacking, tackling trading level, you know, my my investments are one thing that I don't really talk about unless I specifically talk about longer term investments, but my trades are another thing. And, I, and in 2020, especially, every single trade has got its own merit, its own backdrop, its own egg timer, its own technical ramifications, its own stop loss levels. And you really got to be intense to be trading the market in 2020. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Great stuff, Tony. As we start to wrap up here, final thoughts. Final thoughts, man. I am getting geared up for this inflation trade slash commodity breakout for the second half of the year. I think there are going to be some sectors that you can absolutely get long in borderline irresponsible capacities and, and actually have them work out. Um, so, you know, this may not be the time right now. And I would even go as far as to say that this is probably not the right time to get the bat off the shoulder. But between now and the end of the year, Ash, I've got some powder dry that's sitting there in the wait for some of these inflation trades to blow up a little fund. Right. So if I see a big pullback in, for example, God forbid, tips pull back and we can put some money into Treasury inflect in inflation protected securities, that would be a first step. If we could get a pullback in commodities, maybe we can put some money into DBC, right, and get some commodity exposure. But, you know, this is the war chest that I want to have available for when deflation takes over the markets, pulls back this inflation trade that we know is going to continue because the central banks are just not going to go away with the monetization. Lots of moving parts in this market. <laughs> there are. There really are, man. Not forget, not to mention I have an abacus and a compass over here to try to keep it all together. You keep it behind the Bloomberg screens, right? Yeah, exactly. All the analog <laughs> stuff behind the screens. Perfect. Tony Greer, TG Macro, thanks for joining us. Ash, thanks so much for having me. That was great. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.